welcome back to the All the Biscuits in Georgia podcast. Hate it that we've been gone for a couple of weeks. You haven't gotten any uh, new material from us. We've uh, been out of town for a bit, trying to recover from that and get back in the swing of things. And part of that is getting out the podcast once again, getting back on track with that. So we've been digging up some ideas, been working with some possible guests coming up in the near future. And I hope to be getting to some of that soon. But first of all, we are going to get into some of what we have been doing while we've been away from the podcast. But first of all, I'm going to take you back to a word for our sponsor for this podcast. And our sponsor for this week's episode, again, is Broad Street Guitars, 338 Broad Street in Rome, Georgia. Broad Street Guitars is a step-up guitar shop. They feature new and used-strained instruments and accessories. Whether you are a seasoned pro or an enthusiastic beginner, Broad Street Guitars is sure to have the instrument or accessories that you need. So stop by down on Broad Street in Rome if you're in the market for a new or used guitar. The top models that you're going to find in that area are have Broad Street Guitars. While you're down there, tell Shane West that we said, hey, we appreciate him letting us use his music as our theme. That's Georgia Moon that you heard in our intro. Uh, His acoustic version originally came out back when he was with Big Shot. A young band that probably should have done a lot more than they did. But we... Loved them just the same. Great memories from Big Shot. Shane still does a lot of singing and entertaining around the area today. And can also be fine working with Steven's music company. But we are appreciative of him and letting us use his music. Great Georgia song for a great Georgia site. We appreciate it. So, like I mentioned before, we've been out of town. And uh, we went to our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. gets a bad rap a lot of times. uh, Mostly deserved. (laughs) And uh, they're going to continue to get a bad rap from us. But I do want to try to focus on some of the great things that we saw and were able to do while we were in Washington. Um, Some things that kind of stuck out at first with me. The public transportation idea, you hear a lot about transit out, especially around Atlanta, this here lately, and been in the news a lot. We weren't very impressed with public transportation, we can tell you that. Uh, That's to be expected, I would imagine. The uh, circulator uh, bus that actually goes around the National Mall, fantastic. Loved it, especially when it was on time, which was rare. But when it was on time, it was. Very helpful, getting us back and forth to Union Station. Um, but other than that, we didn't, we weren't convenient to a train, so we never used a train. We've heard a lot of people 
talking well of the DC Metro train, I've also heard some people say they hope they never find themselves on it again. I uh, can't really tell you much about the train. We didn't ride it. Traffic in Washington, D.C. is uh, strangely abysmal considering the lack of parking that they have. Now, it's a Washington, D.C. kind of abysmal, which means it's bad for uh, rural Georgia standards, small-town Georgia standards. Still pretty bad traffic. Nothing like Atlanta. Um, but just the same... One of the most amazing phenomenons that I saw while we were in Washington, both while we were on the bus and while we were trying to drive our own car, Washington drivers are incredibly courteous with lane changes. They will go out of their way to let you make a lane change. Whether you're a bus, whether you're an 18-wheel truck, whether you're at a a rechargeable smart car whatever the little rinky dink thing you may be driving they don't care they will flash the lights to let you over they will form a gap to let you over people change lanes up there back and forth back and forth back and forth it's no problem whatsoever they're amazingly courteous when it comes to lane changes I was completely shocked now wait a half a second when the light turns green that's when they're going to step up. I have never heard so much horn honking in my life as I heard the week or so that we were in Washington, D.C. Absolutely stunning. I'm, I'm thinking there must be an aftermarket uh, car horn market for people who are willing to invest in such a thing in Washington, D.C. Absolutely stunning how much horn honking goes on up there. Uh, just one of the strangest traffic phenomena you've ever seen. Cannot imagine people being so courteous with lane changes, being so hooked on honking the horn at people. Very odd. But that's Washington for you. But you didn't tune in to listen to Washington, D.C. to hear me talk about traffic. So let's talk a little bit about why people actually do go to Washington, D.C. So we visited there, and uh, it was definitely interesting did a lot of the tourist thing did the sightseeing um, started out on the west mall i gotta tell you uh great stuff on that end we're able to catch an uber in town on that uh, uber is a fairly effective method of transportation in washington can get a little bit pricey if, you, if you're doing it a lot compared to the buses however they run typically run a lot faster a lot easier to get to. Not trying to get back into the traffic though. Uh, called an Uber to the Washington Monument. It's closed for renovation. So can't report much there. We're able to get around, do a couple of photos, take a look at the Washington Monument, and then work our way down the mall. Great view of the South Lawn of the White House from there. The uh, the Truman Balcony. White House is a lot smaller than you probably think it is if you've never been to Washington. You're expecting some uh, big prominent mansion really kind of high, hidden away within its own trees around the lawns. I was very surprised at how small the White House is. Now, granted, it's a lot bigger than our house, but it's still not quite what you'd expect out of uh, 
the, the head of a nation's home, especially a nation as large as the United States. But let's get back to uh, walking the walking the mall there. Again, watch the monuments close, but we work our way down to the World War II Memorial. That's a must-see for every American. I'd advise it to anybody. You definitely want to see the World War II Monument while you're in Washington. I knew that I would enjoy it. I had no idea it would be that touching. Seeing the, the freezes that they have along the, the paths that you walk, the engravings of speeches and quotes, reminders of things that were said during uh, during World War II. It's absolutely breathtaking. To see all of the gold stars at the, the far end of the monument, that uh, each star representing uh, 100 people killed, and the thought that there's still over 4,000 stars on display there, it's, it is remarkable. It is breathtaking the sacrifice and the courage that went into saving the world during the Second World War. Absolutely stunning. Would advise it, recommend it to anybody. If you're in the Washington area, it's worth your trouble, your time, whatever it takes to get to the World War II Monument. Fabulous sight. Worked our way up from there. We were at the Vietnam Memorial on Father's Day. That's a particularly touching day at that monument. There were a lot of people that were there to visit their dad on Memorial Day. That's what they have of their dad. And it'll make you thankful if you still have your dad. That, to, to walk through that and to realize that's the, the real sacrifice of war. Uh, is the number of children who of course are adults at this point who are at the Vietnam Memorial Wall on Father's Day and you would not believe the volume of flowers uh, photos mementos, notes every little thing that that a child might would leave a father for Father's Day you can find at the Vietnam Memorial Wall on Father's Day there were so many volunteers there ready to help. Anyone who was looking for a particular name, uh, they were out there with phone apps. They were able to give you a panel number, a line number, where you're going to find the name of the person you're looking for. There's many, many veterans there on that day. A lot of family, like I said, on there on that day. Uh, it was, was very, very touching, a very moving experience. Worked a way around on that to the Washington, pardon me, the Lincoln Memorial, which is getting a new roof right now, so there's some scaffolding up around it. That was, um, it was a good experience. That's a large, very large statue that, uh, that you see in there on the staircase. I think it's probably a little bit bigger than you expect if, you, if you've never seen it before. Korean War Memorial, just down from that, if you missed the article that I wrote on the blog about it I would I would suggest going back and taking a look at that um, I had a very moving experience there and 
you know, like I started out with it on, on the social media post, I believe it was on Instagram, posting a photo of the of the actual statue. There's several statues there. The one that actually caught my attention and it really inspired the blog post. I've never been more convinced that a statue might speak to me and I've never been more prepared to hear what a statue had to say. It, it truly, truly in a, a, just a touching moment at the Korean War Memorial. Again, to remind you of the the true cost of war. Uh, skipping through some other things we took a look at, Jefferson Memorial is always going to be a pilgrimage for me. Huge Jeffersonian fan. Loved the Jefferson Memorial. Uh, Wish that the museum exhibits that go along with it had been open. They were closed for whatever reason. Following a, a pattern here that <laughs> felt like a lot of times that Washington was closed. But that was, you know, that's just the theme for the week. The Jefferson Memorial, fantastic. Capitol Tour Day, we actually went to the U.S. Capitol. When you go in, I, you, you may have in mind that the Capitol visit is going to be a little bit more in-depth than it is. You have a monument that you look at, you work your way into where you meet up with your guide to carry you into the crypt, which was intended for George Washington and Martha Washington's burial site. Uh, they didn't check with the Washingtons. The Washingtons had it explicitly in their will that they'd be buried at Mount Vernon, where they still are. So there's a big empty crypt that was <laughs> supposed to be for the Washingtons and that now serve some of the statues that cannot be put in Statuary Hall due to weight issues. Uh, they got to distribute the weight a little bit better. So there, some of the statues are in the rotunda, some are in Statuary Hall, and some are in the crypt, including Georgia's memorial to uh, Dr. Crawford Long, who is one of the two statues that Georgia has. Him and his roommate, Alexander Stevens, are both represented at the Capitol. But we had a great tour guide. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he is the only tour guide from Delaware and possibly the only person that I've ever met from Delaware. Did an excellent job and was able to uh, inform us a lot of the history that we were looking at. Was able to make it humorous, was able to make it enjoyable, was able to keep it moving through there. Pretty much what you get to see, though, is the, the crypt, the rotunda, and statuary hall. And then you're working your way back out. The capital visit, for for it to be as small as it is, was very, very good. And a lot of that was due to our guide, but a lot of it was due to the fact that there, there's a lot of story crammed into those three rooms in the Capitol. Uh, from, you know, we also were able to tour the Supreme Court, which turned out to be a, a surprise. I was very surprised at how much we appreciated and enjoyed that part of our visit. Um, our middle son had suggested that. That was something he wanted to see. Nobody else had really even mentioned it on the list. And I think we came away with that actually being one of the favorites of all of us. We were there on a day where there were five decisions handed down. And if you go to the public information desk, which is just off the Great Hall, you can get actual printed copies. You just go up in the in one of the 
the clerks in the office will come up. May I help you? I yes, I'd like the decision. When, you know, which one would you like? Would you like all five of them that came out today, which we opted to do? Okay, we'll actually get a paper copy, and you can sit down and read uh, the the decision written out by one of the justices, as well as the if there are any dissents that are written, then then you can read those as well. That was excellent. We we have many pictures posted on our Instagram of the of the court building built on time and under budget, inspired and and really fought for by William Howard Taft. Kind of amazing that it was into the 20th century before the Supreme Court had a permanent home after meeting in several other buildings in Washington as well as in Philadelphia prior to that, uh, New York City. And then by sort of bouncing around in the capital, they were able to finally build their own home in the 20th century and, uh, and, and built a magnificent marble building of beautiful architecture and, and get it done under budget, which was impressive for Washington, D.C. You don't get that right. Uh, like I, I want to take a minute and talk about also, when we left that... We left the Supreme Court. We were able to go and see the Folger Shakespeare Library. That's a winner. That's that's definitely a winner. If you're out walking around that area, the the Folger Shakespeare Library is definitely worth your time. Uh, great uh, exhibit going on at this time. Uh, history of book making, and uh, not not the gambling sort, and not even the writing sort, but the actual craft of manufacturing books over time from uh, the times even before the Gutenberg Press to today. Very, very cool. Very informative. Uh, if you're a bookworm bibliophile like we all are, you'll really enjoy that. And then right next door to the Supreme Court and kind of alongside the uh, the Folger Museum, Library of Congress. We were able to tour the Jefferson Building, see the Jefferson Library, uh, his original books that he was able to sell after the War of 1812 when the British had destroyed the existing books of the Library of Congress. So you're seeing books, many of which were owned by Jefferson, were read by Jefferson, books that had passed through his hands, He's famous to not be the sort of person to write in a book, much less my, much like myself. So, not many personal notes within these books. Some of them have had to been replaced with identical copies or even similar copies over the years, and some are still missing, and they're looking for appropriate replacements for them. But that was how the Library of Congress was able to get back on its feet after losing every single volume that they had before. He, he had such a sizable and varied personal library that it was able to fulfill the needs of Congress for them as far as research and the writing of new bills and laws. Uh, the amount of information that needs to go into that. It, uh, he he had a broad enough library to replace what they got lost, and that's you know that's an impressive feat by 
in any age, especially one that was so heavy on philosophy and books at the time. So, Library of Congress was a great, uh, a great stop as well. Um, I really can't say enough about our experiences with the Smithsonian. Now, again, following our pattern, a lot of the Smithsonian was closed. The presidential section of the American History Museum was closed. Um, I don't remember anything major being closed at the Air and Space Museum. Uh, now, i got to tell you, having, having been to some of the museums that we've been to, and the hype behind the Smithsonian, the Air and Space Museum, especially the World War II section, was a little bit of a letdown. Uh, I hear the, the museum out near Dulles Airport is much better than the Air and Space Museum that's on the mall. Uh, but it's still, a, it's still a good museum. I don't, I don't want to talk down on that and make you think that it's somehow not up to snuff because it is, it is a good museum. Uh, the American History Museum was excellent. I gotta, I gotta say though that the one disappointing fact in that was paying $86 for a meal that would have probably cost me 60 at Disney World. So the food in Washington, especially at some of these museums, can be a bit pricey. But if you consider that that was the entire cost of our admission, walk in the front door, go through security, no tickets, no fees, no admission costs whatsoever. So you're able to walk in off the street as an American citizen or even a visitor and see the exhibits of the Smithsonian for free. I don't want to complain too much about an expensive lunch, but that is reality in Washington. It was the same at the, at the Supreme Court Cafe, at Smithsonian, and I'm trying to remember there was somewhere else that we ate that I thought, my goodness, it's expensive, but then again, it's Washington. Everything from gasoline to toilet paper to food is priced as if Congress is paying for it. Uh, uh, some of the prices are a little bit ridiculous. Uh, the Natural History Museum was, of course, on our uh, on our schedule as well. Our youngest really into the science and the, the ancient cultures that are represented there. Uh, again, a good section of the museum was closed for renovations. Um, we had tried to go by, my youngest and I had gone by the Industries and Arts museum which the entire museum was closed for renovations but that actually allowed us to uh, check out the, the I believe it was called the Feeler Museum which is currently hosting several exhibits on Asian culture uh, there was a lot on ancient Iran the Persian culture there was a lot of Central Asia there was a fantastic display on Buddhas and all the different Buddhas different types different styles Buddhas from different countries and a lot of explanation on why you see so many of those variations uh, with my specialist on ancient cultures with me we had a fantastic walk through that while the rest of the family had 
had selected a different museum elsewhere. Uh, but we also, I'm going to talk for a minute with back with the Smithsonian, which all these museums are tied in with the Smithsonian. The original building does still host some exhibits. It is also primarily used as the visitor center for the Smithsonian Institution Museums at large. That building is a work of art. Fantastic Gothic architecture on the inside. The archways, the brickwork that's involved in that. Of course, the towers. They call it the Smithsonian Castle. Just a breathtaking building to see. And uh, Smithsonian, the actual, I believe his first name was John Smithsonian, the founder of the Smithsonian Institution, is buried in a, a tomb that's just off the main lobby in the Smithsonian Castle. Did not know that at the time. Uh, kids got a little bit of a chuckle out of that with my cemetery infatuation that he Everywhere we go, we're finding somebody that's buried. And find somebody buried in the museum. You know, that was a little bit humorous for us all. To go back to the blog, you're going to see that I did have posted um, a lot of information from our days at Mount Vernon, as well as the Manassas Battlefield. Manassas Battlefield, we bumped into a lot of Georgia history there which was nice to see, be that far from home, and, uh, and to even find some of the units that represented our, our town, and, and I was able to connect that with someone from Rome who was, who was killed on the battlefield there, who's buried in Myrtle Hill, which if you follow social media, uh, ABG social media at all, you'll know that Myrtle Hill is my old gray lady. It's one of my most favorite places in all the world, and to find that spot on the battlefield, it's not specifically marked. It doesn't say, you know, he was killed here, but to know that that was where his unit was, that's where the fighting went on. You kind of put a, a place with a name and an event. You're able to see with your own eyes where things went, you know, where, where things went on, what happened there. That was where Stonewall Jackson earned the nickname that we recognize even more than his given name. And Manassas is actually where two battles occurred, about a year apart, so you get two different stories while you're there. Uh, some good monuments, great markings, great hiking trails with interpretive information to tell the story of both battles. Highly recommended. Highly recommended. I mentioned Mount Vernon. Mount Vernon was probably my top pick out of the whole week. Uh, George Washington's estate, they do a very good job of telling the balanced story uh, between George Washington and the great man that he was and the pivotal, pivotal role that he played in the founding of our nation. There's plenty of good reason why we call him the father of our country. It is a well-earned title. But then you also do have to deal with the fact that so much of what went on at Mount Vernon was based 
in slavery. And they do a great job of telling the story of the slaves, of giving you a peek into the life of the slaves and what that was like, what a, what a house looked like, what a day's work looked like, um, what it was like to be hired out and for a slave to actually be able to earn money of their own, which is a, a bit of an anomaly that we don't talk about a lot in history, but it was a reality, especially in that time period. But to see to see that, and now they do have a monument for in in memory of the slaves of Mount Vernon. So that that's a, they do a great job balancing the story of not dragging the greatness of Washington down, but at the same time not ignoring the flaws of the man. Fantastic. The, the house is in excellent condition. The guides who give you your tours are very knowledgeable, very friendly. They present the information in a way that you keep moving through the house. You're able to see it in a, in a short amount of time. It also cuts down on the amount of time you spend outside waiting in line to get in the house. You go in the house, you come out of the house, you go back in the house. The way the tour works, rather than just going from room to room, they open it up, you walk in the back out the front, back in the front, back out the back. You make several passes through the house, upstairs and downstairs, which was different from Monticello, which we were able to view, in which only the downstairs and the basement were open. The upstairs is closed to touring, mostly because Thomas Jefferson didn't want to waste space on stairways, so it's very cramped to try to get a tour group up a stairway there. Uh, but in Mount Vernon, that's a that's not not a problem that they have. The grand staircase there, much different. Uh, so Mount Vernon was a was a great stop. Uh, we were a little bit troubled. You may find over on our Instagram account where I shared a story with them where Dominion Energy is trying to build a natural gas center that. Apparently, was going to have a tower that's going to become a prominent fixture in the view across the Potomac from the Washington's front porch. The view that is there currently is the same view that was there 250 years ago when George Washington was sitting on his front porch. You're looking at the same sort of view, trees and the river. Occasionally, you're going to see boats moving up and down the river that aren't the same kind of boats that he saw, but for the most part, that view hasn't changed in 250 years. So with Dominion Energy coming in with that compressor station, that could be an impact. Mount Vernon is doing a lot in rallying support to try to keep the view like it is, and we are in full support of that. So Mount Vernon still working today to preserve Washington's legacy and also to preserve the historical view with a literal view from the front porch of Mount Vernon Mansion the museum on site was unbelievable we didn't even get to see it all just so much to do and see there you can make a whole day of it and if you're not careful spending a whole day you still won't see it all 
they have completely rebuilt his grist mill and his uh, distillery where he became the number one distiller and distributor of whiskey in the United States. It's those are must-see things. If you go to Mount Vernon, you definitely want to take the short short trip. We took a shuttle bus down to the grist mill and distillery site. They have parking there. You can take your own vehicle if that's more to your liking. They do make whiskey based on his recipe. So you can purchase George Washington's whiskey while you're there. They make a limited batch of it during the months when Mount Vernon is closed to visitors. They're able to fire up. They are the only wood-fired whiskey distillery certified in the country. So if you're buying, if you're drinking wood-fired whiskey in the United States, made in the United States, it's either made at Mount Vernon or it's made by a bootlegger. So I've got to tell you, the other thing is the whiskey is very expensive. They don't mind asking you for money on it. Can't really blame them. Come to find out that 50% of the price goes to taxes. They said Washington was very impeccable about paying his taxes on the whiskey that he made because he was mindful that he was the president who had put down the whiskey rebellion. And if you're going to forcibly make people pay their taxes and you're going to be an honest, decent human being, then you're going to have to pay your own. So they said that he went to great lengths to make sure that the taxes were paid on his whiskey. So that's just kind of a little rundown we went through of our Washington trip, kind of the high points. If nothing else, check out our Instagram and other social media accounts to see some of the photos and whatnot that we've posted. Uh, again, I would highly suggest going back and looking at the stories that I wrote on the Korean monument on Mount Vernon as well as on the Manassas battlefield those are all sites that I'd highly recommend and uh, I go into a little bit more depth in the in the uh, blog posts that I've written there and hopefully you'll get an opportunity to go back and check those out well, that's going to about do it for this episode of the podcast um plan on coming back next week I have already spoken with James Kellerman. if you do follow the blog you've seen that he and I have already been in touch um, been able to pick up his volume 1 and volume 2 of Insured Beyond the Grave and we're going to be bringing him on the podcast next week to discuss that a little bit more in detail find out a little bit more from him about his writing and, uh, and these two books specifically, Insured Beyond the Grave Volume 2, it's just been released. And if you want, again, go back to the blog. I've got reviews of both volumes up. And uh, again, as planned so far, he will be with us on the blog, I mean, on the podcast next week. So I'd invite you to come back and join us then. Until then, I'm curator Sam Burnham. All the biscuits in Georgia. Hope you all have a great week. We'll be homeward bound. I wanna see Dixie. I 
dream.